If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the America Show. We're going to be chatting to Marcus McCoy, the uh, troll blacksmith. Troll cunning blacksmith. Troll, troll cunning, cunning forge. The troll he's blacksmith. Chemical, he's an astrological alchemical blacksmith. I mean, honestly, it's quite fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. If you want to skip our lazy rounds, get right to the chat. There is a timestamp in the show notes. As always, just hit there, click on the time. It'll jump you right up to when the interview starts with Marcus. But then we'll just carry on with these lazy ramblings. But it's an interesting chat. There's a crazy delay, which I think we do a pretty good job of navigating. But it did sort of leave the... We had to kind of stick it to a back and forth, and we had to put our hands up to ask questions. And it was a, it was a very strange format, so it's probably a little... Awkward at times. Definitely hard to interject and have a conversation. Like it definitely difficult to have a conversation with that. We kind of had to wait for him to finish or put our hands up. Like it was, you know, I would have liked to ask him more questions and different questions. I mean, I wanted to get into some some ancient alchemy stuff and a little bit more about burnishing with gold and copper and different metals. I mean, it's it's uh, where the where the you know, he, he, he visited this town. There's a town that's famous for blacksmithing and he thinks it's the, the genesis of metal, of steel. Like that's where steel came to the world through this town. The Pyrenees, actually. Have you ever heard of that? The Pyrenees? Isn't that a type of dog? Well, yeah, I think it is. But I also came up the is Pyrenees. I was there? reading about the Pyrenees in a book right before we had him on too. So Pyrenees just keeps popping up here for me. Does um, the dog come from the same place? Maybe. Steel dog. Is it Peru? No, I've, I've, man, my sense is it's in Europe somewhere, but I really don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Well, like, I feel like it's like Spain, maybe Spain and like uh, Western Europe, sort of. Um, like Barcelona. What's the place where all the rich people go? Uh, it's in Andor near Andorra. It's a mountain range located in southwestern Europe, extending from the Bay of Biscay to the Mediterranean Sea. It forms a natural border between France and Spain. Ha ha. Ha ha. <laughs> there you have it. There you have it. Nice. One. So, so we just finished the Grey America Outlawed episode, an Outlawed Plus episode. It'll be out on Substack, and the audio will be out for our adult, uh, our sorry, our. America Outlawed Plus subscribers, and it'll be on locals too. We we get into all kinds of controversial, crazy stuff. Um, Mostly COVID and trans. Yeah, so we'll keep it a little bit lighter, or we'll keep it quick and and lighter in this intro than we usually do. But we do have some news, right, Darren? Do we? Yeah. 
The adult brain news. We got we got like we got a great book up on our podcast on a new audio podcast. Think and grow rich. And uh, the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. Thoth of the Emerald Tablets of Thoth the Atlantean. You think Jason wrote them? Uh, it's 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 pretty interesting. Some of the stuff in there. I, I pulled up a couple quotes to talk to our our guest who's coming on this week, um, Ella Labane, who's who in the cosmic zoo, and I want to know what she thinks about some of this. But there's some really interesting interesting stuff in there because this is from the, I think it's from a a channeling or something from the 1930s about Atlantis and um, about all kinds of ancient wisdom. The ancient wisdom. Well, yeah. So we're up to, I think, 60 or 70, maybe 70 of the books are uploaded to the Adult Brain Audiobooks podcast feed now. You can check them all out at Adult Brain Audiobooks. You can sign up for premium and get access to full the books because it will be a hundred or so and counting when we, when I finally get them all up, it's a lot of work going through the back catalog and putting them all together into books and making them into MV3s and yada, yada, yada at the same time as re-uploading the entire catalog for redistribution after the Amazon debacle. Um, so that's where we're at. You know, but it's getting there. We got, I think, 60 books back up and redistributed where you can buy them. So if you see a book on adult brain audiobooks that isn't available as a full title yet, you can go buy that any place you get audiobooks. Or you can wait till it becomes free uh, next month or the month after, maybe. Month after that. We can do three or four books a month. And then, uh, or you can just pay the seven bucks a month and get them all, download them all. And away you go. Have a thousand hours of content. So if you guys want to check that out, of course, that's adultbrain.ca like it's always been. Or just search Adult Brain Audiobooks in your podcast player. How's everything going with the move? When are you out of here? Uh, probably the end of, at the end of September. So you got about one month left? Yeah, I got about a month left, yeah. That's like a but, shitty month. But there's a lot to do. Like, I, it's a weird, uh, I have to change phone. Like, I don't, I can't transfer all my accounts over to Saskatchewan. Like, I have to change cable and internet and my phone and everything's got, I can have a new phone number probably. Like, everything's changing like that. You're going to get a new phone number? Probably. I mean, I don't know how else. I don't think they can port it over to the new service. Oh, why well, your phone doesn't work there? No. I mean, Kyle's still using his Calgary phone and. In Ontario, I know, but this is Saskatchewan. There's, there's like <laughs> not happening. Sasktel has the best coverage, so I'll be like a Sasktel. Uh, you can't client. just stay on Rogers or whatever. No, no. interesting. I, I can't even stay on Shaw. Like I can't stay. I have to switch over everything. Huh. Well, this would be interesting. So even my personal email address, like I've been, I've been clients of those for like 25, 20, 25 years. Like my old email address even like has to be rented. I have to find somebody else's server to put it on for now. That's, it's just, it's a bit of a weird. We have a server. Uh, uh, Shaw. Oh no. No, I need to find somebody with a Shaw account. Huh? Yeah. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, isn't that weird? And now it's coming up where like, oh, the email address I've had for 20 years can't be kept. Well, that's a shame. No more player coach. Yeah. Well, your coaching days are way behind you. And my playing days are way behind me too. Yeah. 
Well, I always took it as you were coaching players. Not was that you like a player? No, player coach? coach. Like you're a player and a coach. Like fucking Reg Dunlop from Slapshot, dude. Have you not uh, seen that? I have seen Slapshot. Reg, seen Paul Newman is like the player coach, right? He plays and coaches, right? And that's basically what I did. Huh. They used to call me that in high school. A real leader. <laughs> the, the older dudes, we used to play speedball with the older dudes. Is that where you um, diddle each other? It was like mud ball. It was like we'd go on the weekend and, and me and my buddy would me and my buddy would get called up to to play with them because we were competitive enough to play with the older dudes and they would call me player coach even back then. Huh. Reg they called me Reggie. Reggie. Reg Dunlop. Any diddling? No, not to, no, no, that was that was the the, the community hockey where that would happen. Yeah. That's where the diddling went down. Were you part of any of that? No. No, no, stay away from that. Stay yeah. Was there like a yeah. dude that you guys all knew? Stay yeah. away from him. Yeah. His name was Middle Hole. We called him. <laughs> he even had a nickname amongst the, the kids and everything. Like Ours was Gabby. We kind of knew to stay away from him. <laughs> you had to stay away from Gabby. He's a little grabby. <laughs> grabby Gabby. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's exciting, well, I guess. Well, it's, is- yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. One of it. Northern Saskatchewan's like I've never really been up there. I know no, north, it's not north. It's, uh, it's 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 mid. It's almost it's almost dead center. Yeah, that's north, man. Anything that's not south is north when it comes to Canada. Like technically, Edmonton's mid to southern Alberta, but it's north, man. Let's be honest. Yeah. So, but up north, North Saskatchewan's beautiful country. Are you, are you out of? Are you off the prairies? No, no, we're in the prairies, yeah. How far from the bush? Well, I don't know. I mean, what are you talking about? I don't even, I, don't, I mean, I guess I'm so far that I don't even know where foresty. the bush, I guess I don't even know where the bush is. So. Yeah, it gets pretty foresty once you get far enough north. Really? Eh? Yeah, that's, I, I never really think of it, think of Saskatchewan as foresty. But. So, so where, oh, the yeah. Rainbow oh, that's, Lake is huge. Oh, that's where, where, which lake? Rainbow Lake, I think it's called. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, it gets no. I, oh, oh yeah, you're you're right. It's not too far from that, really. It shouldn't be. No. So Prince Albert is probably like one of the main cities. It's a weird, weird because Saskatchewan's just full of small towns, small, oh, yeah. like small medium towns. There's no like real huge cities. It's just all small towns, and then there's a couple like decent sized cities. But it'll always be conservative. It's going to be pretty hard to change that. So when you okay. get to when you get to Prince Albert, I guess it's a short drive up. Then you start hitting the woods, right? Really? When- Theoretically, I've never been there. I never, uh, like I say, I've, I've, I think Regina's as far north as I've been. I, that's not true. I've been to Lloydminster once, but I like, uh, which might even be Alberta still. But when I went, I just sort of cut over from Alberta. It's right on the border. It's half. It's half. Uh, I think it's half. It's it, it straddles the border. Actually, half of it's in Saskatchewan, half in Alberta. It's a straddler. Yeah. Huh. Well, I had a busy uh, last week. I got uh, mule deer, full velvet, nice big mule deer. I was able to preserve the rack, and I uh, got it looking good. The full velvet. It's the first nice big full velvet one I got. So that looked good. That was I was actually we were just setting up the cam. We were just setting up the trail cam, and we seen it, and I was like, "Fuck, that's a big deer." Really? 
Yeah, so I had the rifle, so I shot it two hundred yards or something. Like you you just like you saw it, and then it stayed. It was you saw it where it was standing, and you just shot it from right there. Yeah, I shot off of a windmill staircase, actually, about two hundred yards away from a windmill. One of the big windmills. Yeah. Wow. So that was an good. Are you allowed to go on those? No, probably not. No, I probably shouldn't have said that. Probably a couple felonies there, but whatever. It was just a story I made up for the show. Um, and then Friday got got the elk down down by Natten, where I've been wanting sort of my wild elk. I haven't. I'm just, I've never really gotten elk in the wild. I got. I've shot three bull elk, but it's all been on the base, which is well, a fun. Base is pretty much wild. I mean, it's pretty wild, but. They are getting bumped around quite a bit, but it is pretty wild. Like it's, we didn't see really see anyone the whole time we're out there. But this is actually just out in the bush. It's not a prairie elk; it's a Rocky Mountain elk, you know, right out by the mountains. And I also was able to call it in with my. I should have brought my call up here. Well, we can't hear it. I don't think we can hear it over. Stream. Oh yeah, we tried that. It didn't work on the other show. I wonder if the cow call was just like a little meow, meow, meow. And that's what you used. Yeah, we, yeah, and it came running in. It was funny because we sat in the blind right till like 15 minutes before dark. And uh, I'd done the cow call a couple times, nothing. And I wanted to look up the coolie, so we just rolled up the blind real quick, and we were just sort of creeping down the hill. And it's like as soon as it seen some movement to go along with the call, like it was in the bush, it just like came running. Came running, man, like full speed ahead. And... uh just stopped like 150 yards away looking right at me. And I was like, how many points? And Miles was like, five, five, I think. It was a big boy. Uh, smallest rack at all the elk I got, but it was, I think it's got to be the most meat. It was a solid fucking elk. Well, I guess it doesn't really have any relative uh, to the size of the elk, does it? It just depends on when it I went along. It, it normally does have maybe no, that no. full growth they do, but I think it's supposed to. But this the racks looks a little fucked up. Maybe something happened to him in the spring that messed it up, or I don't know. But we got a lot of meat off him, a ton of meat. So you shot him at 150 yards when he was looking right at you. 150 yards, yeah. And he was looking at you when he did it. Yeah, and then he turned sideways. And uh, I put another one in him. And uh, he went down. So, was wait, did, did you hit him like s- straight on? The lungs, yeah. One lung and then the other lung. I missed the heart, which is good. I've been saving the hearts lately to add, just add to my ground meat. You don't really notice it's in there, but you That's get it great, That's a great idea. I got the liver out of this one, too, because it was a nice, cool night. I had some... Uh, like I was able to get on ice fairly quickly, get it to the butcher. So I'll get the liver. I got the ribs. I got, it was a good harvest. We pulled the truck right up to the fucking thing, dude. I probably shouldn't say that either. But <laughs> it's like, we're out in the bush, out in the plain. It's like the where the bush meets the plains out in the foothills. Though. So there's a lot of prairies and there's a road to get like halfway there. And then there's a crazy hill. That's the craziest hill I've taken my truck up. It's like, looks like you're just driving into space. I wasn't sure the truck was going to make it because it doesn't have the best tires on it. Still got the street tires it came with on there. But it made it. So it was the first elk that I shot in the bush that I called in 
and also that I was able to drive the truck up to every Which other is a elk, huge it's a huge deal right? every other elk I've had to fucking drag like kilometers yeah so this one worked out that like just as I finished basically cutting it up all I had left was the ribs and the neck meat and Miles was pulling the truck out and everything goes in the back of the truck straight home onto the into the new fridge and system that I just bought a new freezer got that I'll set it up got it into my meat fridge Overnight and off to the butcher the next day. So now I am uh, good. I'm good for meat. I'm all set till November probably, except for birds. I can do some bird hunting, and I'm also pulling the bow back out, just because uh, I'm just going to bow hunt now for the rest of the year. Is white man bow season started then? But uh, starts Friday, so all my buddies will be bow hunting. So I'll just go bow hunt with them. If I get something great, I mean. I can go through a lot of meat. You know, I got my mom, my sister. There's five of us here eating it. I you got, got cack coming up. I got cack coming up. So the plant, the hopeful plot, cack will be all just shot a new elk. So all the elk that's here can basically go. To go to cack? Yeah. Bring a ton of elk meat. Yeah. Elk meat and deer sausage, I think. And then one night we'll do a bunch of animal burgers or something. So when you when is uh when is this cack? That's November 9th to twelfth. It's about half uh, third or half sold out. We could use some more people. It's gonna be a time, it's like a super limited capacity. When I say it's like if it's a third sold out, I think that means there's nine spots left and it's half sold out, there's six or seven or something like that. Um that's with Brown and Powell, right? And uh, Yeah, and, and I talked to three people today that want to come. We got Anthony's coming over from the UK. And uh, Brandon Powell's coming up from the States. We got a bunch of other people coming. It's going to be a good time over in uh, Invermere, British Columbia. Flying to Calgary Airport. We'll pick you up, take you there, feed you. We'll do some cold plunging. We're going to go to the river, get in the river, the Calgary River in November. Hopefully there'll be some snow. There might not be. It's pretty hit or miss for snow around there, honestly. But it'll be fucking cold at night. I promise you that. It'll be chilly at night and the water will be cold as fuck. And there's a hot spring right there. What I'm hoping for is we'll get a nice little dust of snow that weekend so you can experience the actual thing. But we are going to drive you through the heart of the Canadian Rockies. I mean, this shit is the stuff that the the Asians just eat up. They come over here in droves. We're going to drive right by Banff. I mean, if you guys want oh, to so talk you... to Banff for a second and show you what Banff looks like, if you want to go, go through all that. And then hit the 93 down into radium and well, it's only about four hours, but it's probably about, you know, the most beautiful four hours from a Canadian Rockies perspective that we could take you on short of taking you up to Jasper or something like that. But it's an amazing, amazing, amazing drive. Highway 40s right there. You know, we can take you probably down that on the way there or on the way back. Doesn't close till December 15th. So we'll do some amazing sightseeing. We'll get in the water. We'll do the cold plunge. We'll do the hot springs, mushrooms. And we'll have all sorts of wild meat for you guys. If you don't want wild meat, we'll have regular food for you there too. But we're going to have a time out in the mountains, Invermere, British Columbia. Contact at thecabin.com. Sign up today. There's only a few spots left. It is going to be the adventure of that time. We're only a few hours from home. My kids will probably be there for most of the weekend. Sean's going to be there. I guess you'll be a little farther from home by then. Yeah, I'll be. Oof, it'll be. 
probably a seven hour drive to get back to you and then yeah plus four that'll be, oh, that'll four. be fun though. oh it's gonna be a thing contact at the cabin if you guys want to check that out highly encouraged to do this canadian event i mean they might lock us down again get in now quick before they do i don't think they will but you never know alberta be the place to be i guess we're driving to bc but come on out also also montana with randall couple spots opened up somebody couldn't make it so there's two spots available for montana but this is going to go fast it's montana what 18th i think driving around for five four or five days with randall and the team oh man ben from our uncharted x will be there the brothers of the serpent uh darren that's going to be like one of the best randall events i bet full group of people Oh but yeah, open, so Ben will be there, Uncharted X, both Snake Bros. I'll be there, yeah. Oliver, Oliver Twist. We're gonna have time. All right, guys, do you have a that one's at contact of the cabin dot com too? Part three of the Scab Lines has launched as well. If you guys want to get in on that, did we talk our audiobooks already? Yep, we did. Okay, yeah. see now, old fuck. I know. Adult brain, but see, yay. All right, you got anything else? I got a UFO call on if, if, uh, if you, if I don't have the jingle board hooked up, but it's okay. I'll, I'll just, I'll just do it. All right, let's have it. I've got one more tiny piece of the puzzle. Enough pieces and you can see the picture. Jacques Vallée. That's a UFO report from grandson of 1897 airship witness. This is from UFO quote of the day, Twitter. Were they still that idea from you? <laughs> I don't know how long they've been doing it for. Let's see when did it start? Should say here's, when it started. Here's one from a sci-fi writer. You grew up with the romance of Mars, you know. That's it. That's the yeah. quote. Is that uh, buddy whose wife we had on or whatever? No, that's Ray Bradbury on his on his uh, fascination with Mars. Fahrenheit. Well, that's a four, bit of a synchronicity. Fahrenheit four fifty four or whatever the book burning one. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's the one about burning books. Yeah. Fahrenheit 51. Yeah. And that's a bit of a synchronicity. This episode, oh my God, talks about Mars quite a bit. He's like the liquid of Mars. And he had a red, red ochre explosion. I'll leave, I won't tell you what happened to it, but interesting in his lab. Bob Barker died. Again. <laughs> oh, is this the second time? Oh, he's met many, many times, apparently. I guess, uh, just like Pergogian. 99 and three quarters. Did you hear the, did you hear all the memes $100. about him? $100. You know that your pump, 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 pump actually sounded like the price is right, right? Yeah, I know. Did you pick I up that? I don't have that jingle. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've seen the price is right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I thought maybe you were too young for it or something. No, he no. He must have did that show for fifty fucking years. 
Anyway, all right, guys, enjoy the chat with uh, Marcus. Marcus. Marcus McCoy. Marcus McCoy, the troll forger. Yeah. Marcus McCoy of Troll Cunning Forge. Welcome to Gray America. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This will be a blast. I want to give a shout out to, before I forget, the Noble Savage Forge on Instagram who said, uh, he said, you got you guys got to have Troll Cunning Forge on the show and he'd really love love it if we had a conversation. So big shout out to him and and uh, this will be fascinating. I, I'm, I was blown away, like sort of watching watching you in a, in a different interview and and you explaining this alchemical process of blacksmithing. And I mean, I really feel like you're you're stumbling on some ancient wisdom here. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about that. We've been reading and narrating old books on ancient wisdom and alchemy and stuff like that. So um, this will be just great to talk to somebody that's like you know working with this stuff. Sorry, there was a, a lot of uh, delay there. So it, you got jumbled up quite a bit, and it was hard for me to understand what you were saying. Um, okay. <laughs> well, I, I hope that's not going to be a problem throughout the, the whole interview. I hope uh, I hope not. Yeah. I mean, I won't be talking too much, so hopefully you'll be doing most of the talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully so, he doesn't do it when I am, too. So, yeah, where where do you want to where uh, do you want to start? I mean, yeah, I'm interested but, in alchemical blacksmithing. I mean, do you want to get into sort of just jump right into that, and then we can go from there? Sure. I mean, we can talk about where um, that was kind of born, uh, if you'd like. Um, yeah, I'm a student of Robert Bartlett. Um, I don't know if you know him, but the audience needs to know him. He's um, uh, a lab alchemist, which in my opinion, if you're not a lab alchemist, you're not a lab. You're not an alchemist at all. Um, you aren't actually doing the work. Uh, you may think you're doing the work, but you're not. Not one bit. Um, there was never a point in history until now that lab work was somehow disconnected um, from alchemy. So the people that are doing philosophical alchemy or whatever you want to they they want to call it Spir which, spiritual alchemy. Sure, I'll I'll yeah whatever you want to call it these days is seems to be game. Um, you're not doing it. You're not doing the work. Um, and I've I can say that because I've done uh, lab alchemy and I'm familiar with the philosophy and 
I've read uh, books by authors that have maybe done maybe a little bit of the bare minimum of it. Um, but they're, it's just, it's so disconnected and disjointed that they, they're like absolutely like over the top misunderstanding basic terms and blowing them way out of proportion. And like, I mean, it's, it's hard to, can you give us, I think that we've gotten into a point like where we did uh, with uh, masonry. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. What did you ask? So, like, with masonry, like back in the day, uh, there was a point where masons were literally masons, right? And then they opened their doors uh, to uh, non-masons. Uh, as a, a, from what I understand, I'm not a Mason, so people I'm sure can correct me if I'm wrong, but they opened the doors to non-Masons politically and socially in order to kind of save their own asses because, you know, uh, those uh, trade organizations were being like headhunted pretty strongly um, in the UK, especially at the time, um, probably in different places in Europe as well. But I'm speaking from mostly my understanding of the UK. And so trade organizations got attacked pretty heavily. And if you were a member of a secret trade organization, um, a service society or what have you, you know, like you got sent to the, the colonies as an indentured servant. And that's a pretty bad deal you know, being in exile. So they opened up their doors uh, to uh, non-Masons and allowed them in. And that sort of, the symbolism and things sort of got lost to people that weren't actually practicing within the trade. And I would say that a a very similar thing happened um, in traditional witchcraft uh, with the people that were interested in blacksmithing traditions. Um, We see a lot of traditional witchcraft traditions that are focused around blacksmithing that have fuck all uh, to do with blacksmithing and they don't really understand the processes at all. But the, the terminology, you know, like you see within alchemy today and the way that it gets, you know, like exoticized uh, and, you know, turned into a very esoteric concept. We see a lot of that same thing happen within uh, alchemy. And so you, people will talk about sublimation uh, who have never seen the process of sublimation happen in a lab, and they will like just just I mean you're reading you're reading this guy you know like this this philosopher you know talk about sublimation in this just like such intense way <laughs> with so many layers of depth um, that it's just so blown out of context. And when someone has actually sat down and like actually done. Uh, sublimation in the lab uh, for the purpose of laboratory alchemy. Yes, it's spiritual. It's meaningful. There's there's definitely things that are happening there, but like the it's like a child in the lab that doesn't understand what they're seeing or experiencing 
trying to explain it to an adult. And you're the adult who's been in the lab that's been doing this and you're reading what this child has to say about it. And you're like, that's not, that's not, that's not what we're doing here. And there's a lot of miscon. It's like a naivete. So what I'm experiencing when I read a lot of these things is a certain naivete that comes from people that haven't actually experienced it. And that's a really, from, from someone that hasn't done it, hearing me say it, I'm sure that sounds really arrogant and it sounds really pompous um, and insulting to them because I'm comparing them to a child. And I, I get that. But from a developmental standpoint, when you're a blacksmith and you step into the forge for the first time and you are uh, trying to learn how to uh, taper and draw, that is a very complex thing for someone that doesn't have any experience. And so they can blow that way out of proportion. They can overcomplicate it, and they do. <laughs> Go ahead. You got a question? What is uh, I think if we put our hands up to ask questions, that'll work well. What is uh, what is sure. sublimation? Sublimation is where you take um, you take a particular material uh, that needs to be um, you're you're burning it, you're you're calcining it, or uh, destructive dist distilling it. Distilling it, and yeah. It, yeah, but it's like it's different than like say like distilling a liquid or it's more of like you're distilling a solid through a destructive distillation and the smoke of that uh, ends up collecting upon glassware or sometimes metal or, or what have you. Um, and sometimes like a big onion shaped device uh, that allows you to collect particularized uh, chemicals that are being released from production into the outside of the flask, so to speak, that it's being distilled into, right? So it's like uh, instead of distilling liquids where you get the vapor and then the vapor comes over, you're, it's a, a vapor of a, uh, a solid thing, not a, a liquid that then uh, turns into a solid again once it hits that. And so then it becomes like, so a, a good way to talk about it is like if you're taking, say, like a, like a an oil lamp and you turn it up full blast, right? And then you get that black on the, 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 the sides of your, your uh, glass of the lamp, right? You've, we've probably all experienced that, right? We're old enough to have used oil lamps. So that black on the edge of the container, that's like carbon and different chemicals that were within the oil that is in the lamp that's burning off. And then those chemicals are now on the edge of that glass. And so you scrape that off and use that in different alchemical processes. So it's a way of pur purifying things through a destructive process with fire. Um, so that's, that's one of the ways of describing sublimation.
Can you can you talk about the, yes. what when it clicked, when it clicked for you when you were learning from Bartlett about about um, al- alchemy and 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 uh, blacksmithing? Yeah, absolutely. So I was taking one of my first blacksmithing classes uh, at the same time. I was taking a class from Robert. It was the Secunda class, which is more focused on um, animal alchemy. So uh, we focus a lot on urine <laughs> in that class, uh, which is a form of animalia, so to speak. Um, and um, urine is one of the pathways to uh, making a lot of different things within mineral alchemy. So it's, it's kind of an important step. Uh, and that may sound very weird to a lot of people that aren't familiar with lab alchemy, but I'm not going to get into all the details of that. Uh, but in it, there's also a lot of talk about like these intermediary processes between plant alchemy and, and mineral alchemy, because that's kind of what Secunda is, is sort of a bridge uh, over to mineral, which is where inevitably headed. And in that, we got to talk about a lot more about plant salts because in Prima, we talk a lot about, you know, plants. We're working primarily with plants. You start with plants. So in that the salts are somewhat of a mystery. We're talking a lot about the mercury and the soul of, of the plants that we're working with and, and the intelligence of them and things like that and to distill them and to do these things. But the, the mercury or the, 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 I'm sorry, the, the mineral aspect of it is something that requires a lot more attention. And in Secunda, we talk about that a little bit more. And my wife, uh, Katamara Rosarium, she's uh, on the board of directors for the uh, Spagiricus Institute, which Robert talks on, and we're very involved with them. And um, they're much loved people in our lives. And I highly recommend everyone check out the Spagiricus Institute. It's wonderful. Um, and Robert's work is just, I think, some of the best. Um, and so I'm taking the class where we're doing lab work and we're talking about uh, the crystallization of plant minerals during a specific election, a planetary election, astrological election. And so he had with him like a glass beaker, kind of like, like this. And it's just full of a liquid, clear, slightly opaque liquid. And this was a super saturated of plant salts of a particular plant uh, that he had distilled and then uh, calcined down to and leached the, the mineral salts out of and then supersaturated it into a solution inside of a jar. So he takes this jar and this was a plant that was ruled by Jupiter and he wanted to um, he was waiting for a really good Jupiter election in order to crystallize these plant salts because they're in a solution. They're, they're a liquid, right? So 
he wanted to demonstrate to us the process of doing that. And so he popped them. Just like, uh, I'm sure you guys have had those. Uh, they're like um, pocket heaters, right? Yep. Yep. You know, those little yep. pocket heaters, those plastic containers that yep. have the liquid and you, you bend a little piece of zinc inside and it creates a, a like a thermogenic. A reaction that crystallizes the entire pack and that thermogenic reaction is like warm and it gets hot and it warms your your pants pocket right yeah so this same sort of thing happens in this jar right as soon as he hit it that was so saturated with crisp like with uh minerals that that friction created that thermogenic reaction and they all started to crystallize at that point and become a solid so when that became a solid, he explained to us that the astrological influences at that specific time were now then locked. Like it was like a analogous to the, um, the birth date of like you, right? Like what's your birthday? Darren, what's your birthday? March, March 10th, 1981. I don't steal my identity. March tenth, nineteen eighty one. I won't. Do you remember the time? You know the time? Uh I think it was around uh eight, ten after eight in the morning. All right. Ten and ten or eight in the morning. So if we ten were to do eight. this at that eight. time, right? Ten after eight. All right. So if we were to do that at ten after eight at that same time, then that would sort of be like the birth date. Like this thing that is receptive and responsive, like it's a, in a liquid state. Liquid is very receptive, right? It's not fixed. It's open. It's receptive. When you crystallize it, it becomes solid. Solid things aren't very receptive, right? Like we, we tell people that are concrete, you know, they're not very receptive, right? So, now this thing is crystallized. It's become a solid crystal. And you could see, you know, like in the jar, the crystals are spreading and it becomes one big solid mass. And, and you can actually see it in your eyes. Like, here it is. Like, here's a liquid that has now become a solid. So I'm taking these blacksmithing classes at the same time. And I'm trying to, the entire time I'm studying blacksmithing, I'm trying to understand the traditional grimoire practices because if you look at these grimoire practices they talk about a quench and quenching during specific astrological times in particular liquids darren you got a question so would just like water freeze into ice is that the same sort of crystallization process it's very similar yes Yes, you can you can create that crystallization process of minerals uh, uh, under cold. Um, definitely, yeah. It just depends on the chemical that we're talking about, for sure. But it's not going to stay crystallized, right? Unless the temperature is the same, and that's the same with with steel, right? Like if if you change the temperature of steel, it's no longer crystallized. Right? It's in a, a semi-liquid state. And that's what clicked, is that when you heat steel, it becomes malleable, 
And when it becomes malleable, it's also in a semi-liquid state, and it becomes receptive, just like water, right? Like a liquid. So what I realized is that the quenching and the time in which it's quenched, which is your hardening when you harden steel, you're, you're locking in the astrological times, and what you quench them in, you're also locking those virtues of the thing that you're quenching them in within the steel. So then, or whatever metal that you're working with. And so those virtues are now part of the, the metal. And the astrological time, those astrological influences or the light from the um, primordial source that it's transmitted through the different planets because that's how it was viewed in hermetic philosophy is now locked within that. And those have specific virtues as well. And so the sorcery of this is like working with those different correspondences and those different virtues in order to cause specific effects. And that is, in essence, sort of the, the sorcery of blacksmithing from the alchemical philosophy. But this is also something that goes deeper into European folk traditions and probably way more ancient than that. You know, like Paracelsus was making the trident of Paracelsus that all these different occult traditions talk about from thrown horseshoes. You know, like traditionally, that's that's what it talks about. And he tells you how to make it from that. And that's that's old Germanic and also pan-European lore. Like the, the power of the thrown horseshoe is, you know, huge. I mean, rednecks know this shit. <laughs> you know, like to this day, you know, a thorn horseshoe's got luck to it. So uh Paracelsus was working from the same standpoint. Uh, which is interesting. So there's a there's a intersection of folk magic within alchemical that it that sort of inspires some alchemical thought that a lot of people don't recognize. Well, that's a good place for, I guess, for me to ask, ask a couple questions. So, so can you talk a little bit more about your, your process of, of using this? I mean, I, I kind of sense that there might be, it might be tough to schedule this, you know, schedule your work around literally like, you know, align the alignment of the stars. I mean, it, and it is interesting that, that they really, they really relied on the stars so much back then. I mean, there seemed to be, it was accepted that the stars have an influence on things you know i guess that's sort of mm -hmm. gone now in in mainstream science and all that but but even like and the days and the days and things like that and different cultures had different perspectives on things like uh you know like in scandinavian traditions within trolldom if you look at old almanacs actually uh if you were to look at old american almanacs some of that folklore definitely from either an astrological or a folk astronomical or astrological like standpoint. And that's something that really will be coming up a lot more, I suspect in the next 10 years, I think uh, younger people will start looking at that and questioning a lot of uh, Western astrology and looking at um, different cultures uh, perspectives on astrology that were maybe counter to that and questioning whether or not there needs to be, like this one big giant homogenized 
astrology. Um, because if you look at some Scandinavian trolldom practices that like moved on into different uh, perspectives, you know, like things that were done on a Thursday were associated with Thor, um, which is a Jupiter day. And once again, lightning, you know, there's an association between the two. And of course there's a his- historical uh, aspect of that. And so I, you know, like I don't do everything from that unless I do, you know, like I look at all these different things and I know um, that it depends on what language I'm speaking. You know, if I'm going to tell you a joke in Argentinian, you know, like, or in Spanish, uh, but with an Argentinian, you know, slant, it might only make sense to you if you're Argentinian. Uh, (laughs) And so I think that sometimes with folk magic and with different magical practices, it really helps to understand the language and the context in which these things are done. So like something done on a Monday is doomed for failure within uh, Scandinavian trolldom. It's just not a good day to start anything. Uh, you, but, you know, from an alchemical standpoint, like, well, it would be good to start things during, for you know, lunar stuff, because it's the moon. It's ruled by the moon. That's the day of the moon. So you would do things done on that day. But for magical things or things that you want charged or to, like, happen, that you really want to have happen, you know, like you would do on, you know, Thursday. I don't know. Thursday, Thursday, that's the day. So today, Thursday, 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 Thursday is Thursday, right? So for me, I get sort of like you know how like people are speaking and when they're bilingual and they 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 mix their their language up, you know, and like and you it starts to not even make sense to them sometimes, <laughs> you know, like where they're confusing their words, you know, like for me, I my con- constant confusion is is like uh because thor being you know like this blacksmith or some perspectives is that he had a blacksmith perspective you know like or aspect um some don't think that he is um but from my perspective he has a blacksmith aspect uh though he didn't forge his own hammer but he's still associated with blacksmiths and with the forge and with the hammer and things like that so like so Thursday I associate with blacksmithing, but I also associate Tuesday with blacksmithing. Right? Because Tuesday is the day ruled by Mars. Right? So you have these competing <laughs> things. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> like in your mind when you when you are are working from cross cultural perspectives, there are commonalities and there's similarities. But you sort of have to switch between the two, and sometimes it becomes natural, and you're just like, ah, well, yes, of course, that makes sense, you know. And some of it's just intuitive, and you're just feeling it, and and uh, I, I prefer that. Um, but I think that that perspective for people that are very stringent with the astrological days and timing and things like that, you know, like and it has to be very pristine and focused with with timing. I think that. In the next 10 years, we're going to see a lot of questioning of that. I think that people will be like really a little bit more curious about um, different cultures' perspectives on time yeah. and yeah. Um, the stars and how we navigate uh, through this, this universe, you know, like on Earth. So, yeah, especially in terms of magical practices. 
So I got a I got a question here. <clears throat> how much how much intention or or All what right. do you use any other influences like music or intention or meditation in your in your practice? I mean, and didn't the ancients say that alchemy couldn't really be practiced even in the lab without proper intention? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that you're going to be influenced one way or the another, or or another, by the the processes that are happening. Um, with me, like working coming from alchemy and then working with steel primarily, um, I'm a very martial dude. I spend a lot, it's a lot, quite a bit, um, and I do pay attention to the days of the week and the different influences and the astrological influences while that's happening. But I'm prime. I primarily work with steel and I do pay attention. I think that's that meditation. I think meditation practice um, is if you start it young and you're working um, young to train your mind and to train your senses to pay attention to cultivate awareness that's something that sticks with you it's like riding a bicycle and it just accumulates and gets stronger over time and i don't think that there's anything that you can do to change that over time and so you're always going to be cultivating awareness if you've really worked and focused on that and spent and dedicated and committed yourself to doing that it will just inevitably happen but you don't have to make it formal after a certain period. And if you do, I think you're missing the point a little bit. Yeah. And so um, for me, I spent so much time in my youth focusing and disciplining myself on that. I mean, I shaved my head every day. I, I did a vow of poverty and lived on the streets and just, you know, just, you know, meditated on the sidewalk you know like for years and i committed myself to cultivating awareness and and meditating and i feel that i have that today and i pay attention and i see these different influences throughout the day and i pay attention to them a great deal um so working with steel working with iron like i said I approach things because I'm just so in it all the time. I have to think, you know, it's influencing me greatly. And so I, I tend to stay in a very Mars focused space all the time. And that's, it becomes sort of a, a rumination on, on, on Mars <laughs> and martial things. You ruminate on it. Um, past slights, things that uh, piss you off, things like that. Um, Mars is very interesting. My my wife, she was here right now, and I'm sure she's in the other room listening and scoffing at everything I say. Uh, <laughs> she she uh, she and I we share a lab, um, though it's mostly hers now, as I'm my my forge is in a different location from our home and I don't have the time to dedicate to lab work as, as much as I used to. Uh, I was trying to uh, make a 
another batch of oil of Mars, oil of iron. And um, I had just gotten this new uh burner uh that you know it's from china and the they're all a little bit different and a little bit wonky and it's just at that level below the counter and angled it just the right way that i couldn't read it you know and the other ones were backwards the the ones that i'm typically using and I turned on instead of the magnetic stir strip, I turned on the uh, the the heat full blast. So I have all this red ochre in my flask with a bunch of Everclear, mind you. All right, so Everclear, and the ochre, the red ochre which is like iron oxide is thick. I like poured it on. I was like going to make a big batch, right? Like dumped an entire liter of Everclear in there. And just, I was going big on this one. I really wanted to make a lot of it, which I'm glad, you know, people, people, I'm sorry. People look at me and, and think that I'm a meathead, uh, like blacksmith who worships Thor or something. And <laughs> that I'm, I'm not, you know, like, a thinking man so they don't buy my alchemy work <laughs> so the 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 lab alchemy um and this is probably not a a, a really good uh, way to advertise it but so i throw this together and i'm busy i'm working in the forge at the same time I'm making this knife and it's a doing a bunch of damascus and i it's a time sensitive sort of situation so i'm running back and forth from the lab to my shop uh while doing it the total definition of too many irons in the fire. Right? <laughs> so I turn on what I think is a magnetic turf, you know, like a spinning bar and then go out to my forge. I'm done. I don't have anything left to do. It just has to stir. It just has to stir. And that's it. I'm good. Go back out to the forge, go to work, working, working, working. All of a sudden, my wife comes out, just this pale look of concern and panic on her face. There's been an explosion in the lab, <laughs> which no one, no one ever wants to hear that. No one that does lab work ever wants to hear that. And so, I mean, I almost evacuate my bowels. Um, I'm very, like... Oh shit, like what? What's going on? She's like, I can't explain it. You gotta come and see. And I'm I'm expecting the worst. And it was pretty bad, but it wasn't an explosion, explosion with fire and horrible things happening. Um, it was an explosion of red ochre everywhere. Iron oxide everywhere. Everywhere. That thing it just created a bunch of gas. And it exploded those from when you're a kid, right? Like it just everywhere, all over our our lab, which was painted this beautiful color, and it was just very nice and pristine, just covered in red ochre. And 
there was on the roof, the ceiling above it, what looked like the planet Mars. <laughs> it no was way. just magnificent. This magnificent, and we didn't take we didn't take any pictures of it, but we just started cleaning. And I really wish both of us do that we because this it's just too much, you know. It was just so crazy to like see this giant round planet, this red planet of Mars on our ceiling. Just crazy. So so nuts. And I mean it's exactly that red ochre is the exact color of the planet Mars. You know, like it's just what you see when you see things on the Mar Mars rubber. It's amazing. Yes. Is that is that what uh, prompted you to move your your uh, your your uh, workshop a little bit farther away from the lab? No, <laughs> no, that was out of necessity. Um, I outgrew my uh, my shop. My shop originally I started in a just a woodshed. Um, yeah, I was not expecting to really get as into blacksmithing as I did, and. Uh, yeah, I outgrew my space and needed to rent a place. So now I rent a place on the other side of town, and um, it's uh, suiting all my needs at the moment. Though, of course, I'd love a big, giant warehouse space. But you know, what can you do? Let's uh, let's. Well, yeah, I mean, one day maybe. You know, yeah, let's show someday. some of your stuff here. Let's show some of your stuff here. This is your Instagram page. <laughs> I think Dar Darren really loves knives, and he's a he's a. He's a steel worker too, so he'll he'll appreciate. Oh, cool, man! I'm not a steel worker. Like uh, I don't make knives and stuff. I have a guy. Shout out to Steve Lynch. Makes my knives. He made me like a tomahawk, and he's making me some sort of a sword right now. And he made me like a cleaver and a skinning knife and a deboning knife. And what kind of metal work do you do, Darren? Like construction, you know. He's a welder, but welder, welder, iron worker. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's that's. You got to know a lot, you know, and that's a that's an amazing art form in its own right. Architectural steels, especially. So, I mean, th these are amazing pieces. I mean, it's. Uh, Thank yeah, you. It's it's incredible. <clears throat> I did those. I did those for a Sufi practitioner who. Um, honestly, I kind of want to say this um, because I've been thinking a lot about it lately and I especially really thought about it a lot after meeting him uh, in person uh, that and looking at some of his work over the years um, and talking to him personally that um, the Sufi traditions and Arabic traditions are a lot of what we get uh, Western occultism from. And a lot of people want to say, no, it's from the Greeks. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the goes blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff, you know, uh, a lot of it, you know, like it's from either um, Arabic or uh, uh, Hebrew uh, traditions that we've horribly bastardized uh, because it was exotic and we're always looking for some exotic other. Um, but How far back? How far back? <clears throat> well, I mean, the Picatrix, you know, like is a huge influence, but I think it you know, it goes way back. I mean, we're like after the dark I mean, ages, you think, you know, like the, the Knights Templar and, and all that stuff where we're like, yeah, yeah. You know, and the Renaissance and things like that. Um, but we were heavily influenced by uh, 
Middle Eastern and uh, Arabic practices. We just, we don't acknowledge it. Um, and if you look at these practitioners, and there, there's not a lot of these, there's not a lot of translations of these practices, and there's not a lot of open practitioners in uh, Arabic culture because it's, it's considered very serious. Um, you can do terrible things with this sorcery. And so uh, people are penalized for doing terrible things, just like in every culture. And <laughs> uh, it's, it's very feared because of the seriousness of it. Uh, and you'll, you'll actually find that in a lot of different cultures that still um, acknowledge magic as legitimate, is that um, prayer and healing and protection and things like that are considered good forms of magic. But everything else is considered sort of bad, and uh, you know, manipulative and um, terrible to behold because it is primarily it is. So when you look at these practices, you know, like it, some of them are pretty heinous. And if you read the Picatrix, you can you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, an oracular skull. For God's sakes, an oracular skull was created by putting a man in a barrel up to his neck. Imagine being in a barrel up to your neck with a big wooden hole over the top of the barrel and the barrel is filled with sesame oil. And then you're just left there to starve to death and rot until your head just sort of like separates from the body. Okay. And then that skull, that head is then used for doing divination work. Wow. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal stuff. I, 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 I really want there to be more. Um, and that's, you know, that's it. That's, it's very dramatic. There's a lot of non horrific uh, things. And I don't want to um, misrepresent uh, Arabic culture by um, and Middle Eastern culture by just talking about just the horrible stuff. But, there's some really cool there's some really cool stuff within that that you can obviously start to see heavily inspired and influenced a lot of Solomonic magic and they're still doing it and they're still doing it from a perspective that is way more advanced way more informed i mean alchemy itself had its heyday in the middle east i mean Alchemy itself, you know, like Egypt, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, these are deep, deep influences on the Western tradition that we have been really ignoring. And the problem is, as well, is that there, a lot of these uh, old books, you know, there are people that almost like an Inquisition sort of thing, even today, you know, they want to destroy these books. They want to destroy that information. They don't want it out there. Um, and that's still happening now within Arabic culture. You know? Wow. <clears throat> I wanted to ask you kind of about that along the same vein is, is how, how is occultism mis, mis, uh, misperceived right now? Like the, the real occultism, not like the, you know, black magic or, or the, you know, the darkness, like the evil they say occultism is these days, but the ultimate, Cultism, as in probably how you define it, you know, hidden. Um, how is right, that mis I, misperceived these these days? You know, 
Well, I think a lot of that has to do with um, the church uh, and with uh, the media, right? Whether it's rock and roll, heavy metal, or or movies, TV shows, things like that. Like they've sort of followed a narrative of like uh, making satanic symbolism. Yeah, I mean, it's like the satanic panic just like kept rolling. You know, like within the, the media and stuff like that. I mean, I grew up in the satanic panic era. You know, like I grew up with Bob Larson. I was on a fucking radio DJ uh, thing with Bob Larson once, and I wasn't allowed to talk to him. Like, they didn't <laughs> connect us. I was so pissed. I had so much to say to that asshole. Oh, my God. But, like, they, that that whole, that whole thing uh, of, like, we exotic. We we make exotic that which we fear. We make other that which we fear, right? That which we fear is other. And excuse me. And so there's there's all this stuff within our own traditions and our own her- heritage that we wanted to make go away. So we make it fearful. We make it other. We make it bad. And we've been doing this for a long time. You know, like the the the, the witchcraft narrative that we buy into today, a lot of that came from demonizing Gnostics and the Jews in uh, Spain and throughout Europe. Like, so that we could, so the church could, you know, basically take over their resources and dominate the territory, both politically and economically. Uh, I mean, this is well-known history. Like, we, we did this, you know, like whether it was the Cathars or the Jews, and we, we, we did this. this. This happened. Yes? Yeah? Well, it, it seems like it's ramping up now, though, too. I mean, it seems like now New Age, I mean, there's a whole sort of movement about demonizing New Age, witchcraft, like... Traditional occultism nowadays, let's call it uh, like just whatever, esoteric studies, witchcraft, anything kind of new agey now seems to be getting demonized as well. There's a whole kind of movement that that's all. Well, well, the new age itself actually bought into the exact same narrative of that they used back in, you know, ancient Europe and Spain. You know, they, they, they have and they still are, you know, the, the QAnon new agers especially are still doing that. You know, like they're they're uh, the most common thing. This is an old, an old libel, like the the old blood libel, like thing that we're used to demonize the Jews is like they're going to kill and eat your children, right? They're going to sacrifice your kids, right? We saw that with PizzaGate. We saw that with all these different conspiracy theory things. Like they're going to kill and eat your children. Right, or they're going to be pet- they're pedophiles, or they're going to do something to your kids. Right, they're coming after your children in one sh- way, shape, or form. Then we saw that again with the satanic panic, and then now the new agers have adopted that as well, and they're using that. <laughs> I mean, my God, I see so many new age people adopting those the same blood liable concepts. Most of them super anti-Semitic, which is just mind blowing to me. Mind blowing. And they they parrot these things over and over again, and it just it blows my mind. Uh, and so, 
are people going after the new agers? Yeah, but the people that are going after the new agers are usually on the same side as the new agers. You know, like, I mean, it's kind of mind blowing to me, you know, politically and socially. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) that's kind of what I was getting at it is uh, it seems like there's a bit of a a shift towards Christ again, maybe because of this overt symbolism that's happening. And a lot of that sort of like I feel like that movement is kind of looking at new age in the same light as 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 like black magic or like they're just lumping like it almost reminds me of of the 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 witch the burnings of the witches and stuff or the malleus maleficarum where they're like all these things outside of the traditional christianity are considered witchcraft it's crazy well i mean these those are those were social political like tools that were used you know to try to um gain power you know just they're they're bruises and they're just used to gain power. And people have like reinvented and used the same narratives over and over again since time immemorial. The the biggest irony, the most horrible thing is that the the, the Romans, the pagan Romans, uh used that same uh thing against the Christians when the Christian cults started. I mean, that's the brutal uh, irony of it all. Like this has been used, this narrative has been used over and over and over again to seize power to keep small groups small and to keep them from taking over the the dominant political structure social social structure um it's used to relegate and maintain power within belief systems and it's it's been it's you learn about it and you're just like from like way back you can start saying like this is just a repeating pattern. They just keep reinventing the same story over and over and over again, and yeah, it's just it's mind blowing. The sad is thing it, is, is, is that New Age stuff is tragic. Uh, it's absolutely tragic. Is it inevitable, or is it done? Is it inevitable? Is it just part of our our cycle, cyclical sort of evolution, our social evolution, or is or is it sort of intentional every time? I, I think a little bit of both. I mean, it's it's intentional and unintentional, like depending on who's you know participating in it. You know, like it's yeah. definitely intentionally thrown out there by some people, but I mean, it's unintentionally you know done by people that are passing that on. You know, it's like a sort of trickle down sort of yeah. <laughs> uh, form of of hearsay and and conspiracy so to speak i'm not a, i'm not really big into conspiracy stuff i'm i'm a massive uh critic of uh conspiracy theory and, and things like that but but what i see is, um that are happening with it that limit uh our growth as a as a species and i'm seeing a lot of it especially right now with the 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 internet making it so easy for people to spread information uh like across the globe yeah so like with alchemy you know as well as with like blacksmithing with my work you know i see a lot of people just take my work and uh replicate it or try to imitate it without understanding it um with alchemy i do this i see the same thing there's a there's a blacksmith up in canada 
too. As soon as I started doing my quenches and things like that, he saw that there were people that were wanting to, you know, buy my work. And he was kind of a jerk and decided to replicate some of my stuff. And, and um, he started doing it in like moon water and different things that, that, you know, or quartz crystal water, things that went against the philosophy of alchemy um, and that were like more new age. And my critique of the new age stuff is that it has no foundation in philosophy. It has no actual solid foundation at all. It's just cherry picked uh, um, foundationless belief that, you know, a toddler could come up with. It has no actual foundation in anything. People try to like, you know, I, I guess loosely, you know, adapt it to a uh, uh, sort of pseudoscience of like scientific materialism with energy, vibration, and frequency, and things like that. But it's it's still so loosey goosey. You can just apply it so obliquely. You can apply anything to it that just fits your narrative, like whatever it is. You know, you can just like throw whatever you want in. So it's ripe for cherry picking, uh, <laughs> and. But it has no real philosophical foundation to it, which is what uh, hermeticism has, you know, like, yeah, and I, yeah. I like that or, or any of these different uh, folk traditions, you know, they've got cultural, you know, like uh, philosophical foundations within them that are really deep. And the, the, the deeper you study them, the deeper they go. And it's kind of amazing. I love that one. I love the fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, that was a great project. So, yeah, um, you see this within alchemy too. There's a lot of people that try to jailbreak alchemy, and they um, try to adapt scientific materialism to uh, um, that, so that it's not. Um, they use New Age philosophy instead of Hermetic philosophy, and what they end up doing is. Uh, bastardizing the the work itself and it a lot what that allows them to do is pretty much anything they want so they can sell you anything they want they they can just they're just playing off your ignorance so what, what do they you can mean do by things it? as poorly as possible they can sell you poison what do you mean by uh playing it off scientific materialism so they can they can so hermetic philosophy has a, a strong foundation in the ontological system of of neoplatonism right scientific materialism goes in a very different direction than neoplatonism and and we've been trying to catch up to neoplatonism and trying to explain neoplatonism with scientific materialism ever since paranormal psychology does that like that's all they do right they're they're trying to explain how they lost their soul to scientific materialism through paranormal psychology <laughs> and hey, that's 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 my my hot take on paranormal psychology <laughs> but so is transpersonal psychology that's exactly what transpersonal psychology and consciousness theory and um uh, scientific materialism came in and sort of like, well, there's actually no real basis for the soul. You know, there's a basis for mind, and we're still trying to understand that. But like an immortal soul doesn't really, you know, we have energy. Energy cannot be created and destroyed. You know, we apply scientific principles of physics, 
things like that to it. But we don't really have like an explanation of like, where the fuck is a soul? How do I get there? And where is it? What does it feel like? What's it smell like? Things like that. You know, like we're very materialist, you know, like with our approach with that. And so we don't really have like a, you know, a standpoint for that. So what we do is we create with a new age philosophy, we create a bunch of really uh, oblique bullshit pseudoscience ways of talking about it all so that we can justify any whim that we have well so, stoned out of her mind, you know, like sitting on the toilet <laughs> with, with, with new age philosophy. Cause we so can where do does, that. Where does you know, Scandi with new age philosophy, we can utilize very loose scientific terminology to explain anything. Yeah. Oh, he's frozen. Like no, you're back. Oh, you're back. So, um, so where does Scandi folk magic sit on that, that issue? I've lost it. Well, yeah. You're, can you hear me now? Can't hear me. Can you hear me now? I can. Okay. Okay. Where, yeah, where does Scandi folk magic sit on that? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me now? Oh, it's a bad delay. He can't he can't hear us, eh? All right, repeat your question. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. There's so what? Where does Scandi folk magic? Uh, so is your question where does Scandinavian folk magic fall into this? Yeah. Oh no. Where the where does it sit on like the you know, from Neoplatonism to the materialism and the soul. <laughs> things are still pretty rough in the internet land we're having some technical difficulties here well at least we made it to the 56 minutes you know uh, at the beginning it didn't seem we, like we were going to we make it anywhere and uh, so at least we got the hour in is there anything that you feel like we didn't I am going to say I can s- I can say this with the Scandinavian folk magic concept is that um, philosophically speaking, we get very complex when we start to look at um, specific cultures and how they historically, my background is in anthropology. I've got a degree in um, transpersonal anthropology, which is studying specific cultures and their belief systems. So the Scandinavian people were very, very, some of the last people to sort of get Christianized in, you know, like Northern Europe. And they sort of adapted their belief systems to a Neoplatonism, right? That was brought by the church. And studying how they believed prior to that not very well documented but you can start to sort of see like where a lot of this stuff comes from and you can start to see there are certain scholars like uh um claude uh lecatois like he's one of my favorites he wrote a lot about like uh the pre-christian uh 
metaphysics of of Europeans. And um, I think that anyone that really wants to dive headfirst into that conversation would do a good job looking at that, but also to study how Christianity started to influence um, your pan-European thought after it spread. Um, so something to, to look at. You think we, um, we forgot anything or do you want to say anything before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I, I do want to, um, make a shout out to, um, uh, the Virtus Genii Symposium, which is something that, uh, my wife is the head of and I just support and help do minimally, <laughs> but, uh, the Virtus GNI Symposium is a conference, and um, the Virtus GNI uh, book is a book that we publish and work on together, though she does most of the work. And um, it's wonderful. It, it uh, pulls together authors and researchers and practitioners from around the world uh, that are focused on plant magic, alchemy, plant mysticism, and things like that. And that uh, the plant world it just like an alchemy that's what you start with that's what you want to start with that's what you want to learn first and a lot of people don't so something to pay attention to and and keep your eye on is the work that we're doing there um so britishgni.com and we do the this event every summer and we publish a book we've got multiple books we even started our own publishing company to self-publish the book series and um it's definitely something to check out so definitely check that out right on what about your uh your where you can find your your um blacksmithing check out my instagram troll cunning forge um that's where i post everything i post it on twitter and threads and uh facebook and things like that and my uh of course my my etsy page but Etsy has been a little problematic uh, for a lot of people in the last couple of years. So um, if there's something you see that I post that you like, feel free to message me because it's all for sale. Everything I do. So um, I'm not doing custom work anymore uh, or reproduction work. Uh, I just make what I love and offer that to people. So. Right on. Check thanks, buddy. There. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. Right on. Thank great. you, Troll, yeah. for we'll coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, have a good time. Come yeah. back anytime. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it's good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Right on. Take care. And that was a chat with Troll County. Marcus McCoy, Marcus, Marcus Cunning Forge. I wanted to ask him about oh, why he named it. Top. Sorry, I can. I was, I was like, "Fuck!" I didn't know I seen the name somewhere. <laughs> Troll Cunning Forge. I wanted to ask him why about that that name next time because I got I got more questions. I want to ask him about the gold working with gold and and uh, bronze and and uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Working with the bronze, the gold. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Big thanks to Marcus McCoy for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of our supporters. One of the 1% supports the work, the magnum opus. Head over to grammarica.ca slash support today. If you want to join the ranks, 
help us out. You can make a one-time donation. You can sign up for monthly, whatever you want to do. You can also head over to GrandAmericaOutlaw.ca if you want to check out our conspiracy podcast. And you can head over to AdultBrain.ca if you want to check out that podcast as well. A brand new audiobook podcast uh, where we're going to try a different way of doing audiobooks. We get a bunch of free content, free books every month, and uh, you can be a member if you want. All that great stuff, adultbrain.ca, americaoutloud.ca, america.ca slash support. I know it's a lot, and you should check out Marcus's stuff too. Busy little list for you. It's all in the show notes. Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. So many cigarettes, so perfume.